Political with John D. Clare was the best politics radio show in the Northeast. Right-wing trolls tried to bully the show out of existence. Socialist Think Tank is here to bring the show back to where it belongs. Enjoy Political Unmuted. And uh, welcome, people. Welcome to Political Unmuted, the phoenix from the flames of the old Political Aikif radio show. We are back on air. This is me, John Declare. I know it's terrifying that now you can see me as well as hear me. So it's God, it's terrible. Double the sickling dose. Um, so as always, we're here with our... Um, polite political discussion show the whole idea is that we're sensible we're reasonable we're actually quite moderate despite the rumors going around and you are going to hear today from uh, three absolute wonderful people um sort of colleagues at Sexbook CLP and oh no apart from Sam oh, oh, oh there we go um, we're <laughs> um, and I'm going to introduce them to you now let's start uh, Sam it's so good to have you back. It's good to be here. <laughs> uh, Apologise in advance if you hear any screeching. There is a bedtime happening upstairs. <laughs> that's right. Um, that's just, we're in people's homes and of course we're all fascinated yeah. with the background behind. <laughs> um, now, Sam, just, just very briefly, what have you been doing down during lockdown? What is your lockdown input? Okay, so um, I'm not the healthiest person, but I'm the healthiest of my immediate family. So I've been looking after everybody, <laughs> doing all of the pharmacy trips and the shopping trips and the picking up the extra bits. And then, of course, I've got some extra grandparents that I have uh, adopted. <laughs> so I'm looking after probably about seven or eight different households with the little bits and bobs that they don't necessarily get in the, the main shop or the, the little trips they need to do um and then of course educating my three children <laughs> which is fun <laughs> sudden new respect for the teachers i think here there well but for a lot of people i'm an ex-teacher you're an ex-teacher so we already respected the teachers um <laughs> and feathered, feathered friends as well i understand yeah so i've got i've got the chickens uh it's been an up and down with the chickens because they're rescued so they uh pretty uh not not in a great state when i got them but the four i've currently got are, are doing great <laughs> are they laying are they laying they are there's three three of them are laying one of them is laying soft shelled eggs that end up getting eaten by the other chickens but i'm getting at least two eggs a day which is great which is fine by me <laughs> absolutely brilliant we ran out of eggs earlier on you're very lucky Come back to you, Sam. Uh, Stuart, you. welcome to you as well. Guest um, How has your lockdown been? Uh, easy, because I, I'm shielding for the most part. So there's not a great deal for me to do. Everything's you online. You have been very busy on the telephone, have you not? I have. I've been ringing members. I've been helping out in Chilton with stuff. I've been supporting workers in Newton Aircliffe. I mean, if there's a job, I'm generally trying to do it for somebody. <laughs> so, so you kept busy. You haven't been. I have. I'm not bored. 
sort of uh, part of that great army of people who've been supporting others through it. Through it. I, 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 set me to shame. I've, I've just uh, sat here and to get on being useful and not succeeded. Lovely to see you. Thank you for being on the, sh the show. Is this your first, first political ever or were you, you on? I was on the last one, the very last oh. one. So you can blame me. I'm, I'm a bad luck charm. Kiss of death, thank you. Um, and uh, finally, um, in the, in my top left-hand corner, well, this is the top left-hand corner for everybody, Paul. I don't think so. I'm in the top right here. But, um, yeah, I've been um, just, I've, I've been at work. So I'm a key worker, I'm a teacher. Um, so I've been at work today. I've been sending work home to students, and trying to look after the well-being and then doing the homeschooling side of it. And, volunteering in the local community and you know just generally trying to trying to help I think the most important thing that we can all do during the coronavirus crisis is just to help as best you can and some people's help is staying in doing very mm. like you know just making sure that they don't pass it on to anyone or or put mm. themselves at risk or other people at risk or the NHS at risk and some people help by being a little bit more active and there's everything in between and I've certainly not volunteered as much as some of the people who I'm so proud of in my community but I've played a little part in that and uh, I'm, I'm, I feel that I feel the community spirit at the moment now very proud have of you it. been going in to teach your pupils or is your school just closed down altogether I mean have yeah, you I've been we we have vulnerable students at my school um, pretty much every school does uh, but we certainly do at my school and yeah I've been teaching I've been teaching today so is that one day a week or two days a week? Or? Um, well, we have to do it in bubbles. So I'm in the Tuesday bubble. <laughs> so I can only go in on a Tuesday so as not to risk other members of staff. Yeah. So I'm doing, um, I'm doing one day a week, but the rest of the time I'm doing uh, online lessons and uh, you know all, all these different things. So it's quite strange, I think with the volunteering and, and the Labour Party stuff and I'm a trade unionist as well and that was really hectic for a little while when the government mm. were, were suggesting that it was safe to go back because their advice said it wasn't. Very, very confusing time for a, a trade unionist when you can see all those contradictions. It was a difficult, difficult time. It felt like I had four full-time jobs with, when you include the homeschooling and volunteering and, and things. But, you know, uh, we all play our part. We all do what we can. What was your moment of the week, Paul? Uh, my moment just, of the week. Just interrupt you there rudely. Um, the, for <laughs> anybody who's never li listened to political on the radio at all, what the first issue after we said hello to everybody is I asked people what their moment of the week was. Um, it's not one of the main things we're going to talk about, but sort of it's just something that people um, have, have, have chanced upon and, and, and struck them as being important. So, Paul, sorry, I rudely interrupted you. Moment of the week. Uh, my moment of the week is, um, well, some people are seeing it now, so this page, uh, Socialist Think Tank, is a project that uh, we're running at the moment, and the idea is, sometimes when we talk about politics, when we talk about left and right, which I think has lost meaning entirely, people talking about left wing and right wing, it used to be you used to talk about whether you thought the state should intervene, and whether the, you know whether you should have nationalised railways and things like that and it's, it's come to mean something totally different and socialism's almost like if you say you're a socialist people say oh well you're a communist and mm -hmm. you're red under the bed and it's <laughs> what we're doing is we're speaking to a lot of people who are um very very 
ordinary people, mainly from the northeast. We're doing interviews with them. Uh, we've done one with Alan Margin uh, that's gone out. It's you know, it, it explains why he's a socialist and what he believes. And you know, it's it's like speaking to people who are just like you from your community. You, I, I would I would struggle to find anyone in the northeast who doesn't know someone like Alan Margin, and yet. He's so, um, well, he's, he speaks so eloquently, but so in such a down-to-earth way about what he believes socialism is and why we should be socialist. And that's the idea of a socialist think tank. We're not trying to talk down. So, this, so is a Facebook, this is a Facebook page, is it, Paul? That, that it's, people uh, it's, it's got a, it's, we've got a Facebook page, but the, the main thing is we've got podcasts and we've got YouTube videos that are coming out. So, um, and if you're watching... Really if you're watching, you're watching uh, on Socialist Think Tank now. So yeah. I forgot <laughs> as well. Um, so there's, there's, we've got no, the listeners. We've got no um, jingles as well. We can't do jingles yet. We may be able to learn. Oh no! So I'm going to have to do all the jingles. This is moment of the week. <laughs> How about no? Yeah, moment of the week from you. Uh, I finally got my letter. For telling me to shave, to shield, so I've been shielding I think for three months or so. Oh gosh! And I've I've only just yesterday got my letter saying I should shield. That's so, terrible. This is one hell of an organised government, isn't exactly. it? Really? You know, t- top of the game, really top of the game. Um, Barbara has just systematically throughout the entire time of lockdown been receiving letters from the NHS saying. Um, we're cancelling your appointment of such and such a date and we're going to rearrange it for such and such a date and then we wait two or three weeks and we're cancelling your appointment of such and such a date. So I'm scribbling things and writing them down in my diary. So you're, you're, you're officially, are you officially vulnerable now? I am. I can't, you know, it'll, it'll help me get shopping. <laughs> considering oh. considering I'd, I'd already given up and gone to the shops at that point. Oh. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. And Finally, um, moment of the week. Um, so I work for the co-op, um, and we are my what I do is I'm meant to engage with the community. So I had a really Hang on, stop, 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 I'm interrupting you. Um, yes, when you say you work for the co-op, yes, you don't quite mean what most people think you mean when you say you work for the co-op. Okay, explain that to us. Yeah, so I don't work in a shop. I don't have a place of work. I'm what they call a member pioneer, which is a very interesting title, um, but basically means I'm supposed to be out in the community, engaging with local um, volunteer groups and community causes and trying to help the co-op, help the community and, and try and bridge that, the gap between them. Um, so through the whole time, they've, they've kept me on and basically said, um, we, we are going to pay you for your time and use that time in your local COVID response groups, however they're doing it. So that's great. Um, and then yesterday I had a meeting with the, the higher ups through, uh, through the, um, what do you call it? It was a Google Hangout where we discussed what's gone well um, and what gaps we think the co-op needs to plug for longer term stuff. So we're talking about um, sustainability into the future and the fact that mental health is just as important as physical health. Um, so I really hope and I do believe that that will be fed through uh, 
by the co-op and hopefully they'll come out with more funding available to keep us going because it is looking like a very long slog we're up for it's, it's just going on and on isn't it mm -hmm. so thank yeah. you thank you especially for your moment of the week <laughs> thank you and now it's time for <laughs> the big story <laughs> oh and, dear um, the, um, I need a triangle or something. Oh gosh. Um, the, um, uh, this is the big story. This is our big story of the week, everybody. Um, and um, of course, um, I, I think I'm going to kick off with you, Sam. Um, mm, thanks. What, what has mattered very much since the 25th of May? Black lives matter and all lives, but <laughs> I mean, you just have to look at us here, don't you? We are four people who are white on here talking about Black Lives Matter. And that should be obvious to people. And I think that that level of structural racism goes over people's heads sometimes um, because it's not always about what you or I do as individuals. It's about the society that we live in. And I don't think you can deny based on facts that we are living in, in a society that has some serious problems with racism. Um, <laughs> would you like me to go on? <laughs> yeah, I do. Yeah, we're listening. Yeah, I mean, basically, just look at what we're doing right now. We're in the middle of this COVID crisis um, and we've got a massively redacted government document all about how race is impacting on people's ability to survive. and. We shouldn't be in that position. The virus isn't racist. So the only answer is that our response is racist, whether we mean to or not. And when we've just passed the, is it third anniversary of Grenfell? Mm. Um, you know, it, the fire wasn't racist, but the fact that most of the people in that tower block were all uh, black and ethnic minorities, while they were surrounded by plush Kensington tells a story um, and that and the fact that we've just gone past the anniversary of Joe Cox's death where she was killed by somebody who appeared, appeared to be because of racial brexit -y tensions so these things to me are obvious if you are got your eyes open but I also understand that because we live in a time of social media where our messages are micro-filtered, depending on our interests, not everybody sees what I see. Uh, Paul, what was your take on Black Lives Matter? Um, I think they absolutely do matter, and I think that um, it, it's really strange when you hear people come back with all lives matter and no one's saying that all lives don't matter. It's a very strange response to say, well, all lives matter though. Yeah, yeah, they do. And black lives need to be part of that. The problem at the moment is we do have systemic racism. And I think people find that very, very difficult to come to terms with because I think a lot of the time people think that when we talk about this, we are saying each and every individual is racist. And there's people sitting at home thinking, well, I don't care. I'm, I'm, I'm really, uh, I really have no issues. I am not like openly racist towards anyone or even privately racist. I think everyone should be treated equally and they have that. I think a lot of people take it personally when they hear that the people think that the country is racist 
but that doesn't mean that every individual in the country is racist. We're not saying you are a racist. What we're saying is the system's in place very much the same way as it is very, very difficult for working class people to, to you know, be successful in society. Um, because for a start, people talk about, like, you know, we've got our MP for Sedgefield, Paul Howell, talking a lot about social mobility. You know, I'll believe in social mobility when um, someone from Eaton's like working on the bins. Um, you know, so, you know, the, the, the problems in, with the black people have and in ethnic, black and ethnic minority people have are very much linked to this, this system where it's very, very easy for people who have power to keep power. And they're trying to keep that power by, you know, every now and then they'll have a Tory minister who comes to the forefront who is black, and black or Asian or ethnic minorities. Um, and then they will say, well, this person's been successful. Therefore, <laughs> you know, there is no racism. But that's like putting Richard Branson in front of everyone and saying, well, you know, here's Richard Branson, he's rich. That means there's no poverty. You know, it's, it's a silly argument, you know. So those systems, even though, you know, everyone is suffering to a certain extent from these systemic problems, they are affecting black people, particularly at the moment, really, really badly. And, you know, you can only like, look at the fact that graduates who are black earn less on average than every other type of graduate. That can't be normal. You know, if, if, if we lived in a fair society, then it wouldn't matter what the color of your skin was. You would earn the same amount if you were educated to the same level, if education is the big be all and end all. And I don't necessarily think a university education is the be all and end all. But in a society where that's what is claimed, why don't every why doesn't everyone in that situation earn exactly the same? I think a big a big thing here, Paul, as well, um, uh, and Sam alluded to it, is um, that um, we've kept recognizing this in report after report after report, the Lamy report, the Angelini report, the McGregor, whatever, whoever report, and we kept saying in different areas, and there's been a report come out this week, um, which has found blatant racism in uh, the blood unit of the um, NHS, um, managers saying, well, I never employ a Muslim, openly, <laughs> and, and, and not even thinking there's anything wrong about that. And, and sort of, and uh, the, the other one for me was that what Sam pointed out was that the, the BAME COVID report, the reporting to the excess number of deaths of BAME people within the NHS, redacted all those um, sort of references to race as a possible, kind of racial discrimination as a possible cause of this. And we've had to have a, have a leak in a, a campaign to even get that report published. And these are those three, the three ones, the Lamy one, the Angelini one, and the McGregor, whoever reports, that's three, 2017, and they've just sat on them for uh, three years. And so consequently what you have is you have this buildup of tension and a whole group of people who are just sidelined and, and, and not listened to. And that's when you, you get the protests. And, and I think that was what Black Lives Matter was about in Britain, much more than about the death of um, George Floyd. Sure, I think that was the trigger, but I'm hoping that sort of it was care for people's situation. 
Stuart, um, did those protesters go too far? I mean, what's your sort of, I mean, we had a situation where you had some protests, you had some things happening, and then you have the counter protests the next weekend. Give us your take on, on, on what you feel about the, those protests. Well, how far they went really kind of depends on what they wanted, you know, as demands. And because they aren't an organisation, Black Lives Matter isn't an organisation, there isn't a singular demand. It's just people that want to be heard. And, you know, quite often the easiest way to be heard is to, to take things to the extreme. I mean, especially in a capitalist system, you know, destruction of property is going to get, you know, people watching and listening quite quickly. You know, it's the language of capitalism. So, you know, I, I don't think they have gone too far yet. I mean, one thing that uh, actually uh, strikes me about it, I, I keep saying to people, people are more important than things. Mm. And, and, and sort of, uh, yes, people have graffiti. Actually, nobody has damaged or defaced a war memorial. That's really important. It, but various statues have come in for it. It's just a thing. We can wipe graffiti off. What are, what are you getting so upset about that? It, it just washes off. And, sort of, and people's lives, they really matter. And, and capitalism always does this, I think. It, it puts the thing before the person. But Stuart, what do you reckon to the response of the, the government? What, what do you think about that? Just, there's a whole gaslighting uh, and weak willed sense around it. it. It puts all the blame on one side of the situation. There's absolutely uh, no concept that they are part of why this situation has occurred. It's, it's really worrying because even after all the, the protests and even bits of looting and the, the damage, the government is still not taking anything on board. The, the, the Prime Minister has promised, hasn't he, to hold yet another review? Another review, yeah. Sam, what do you reckon to that? I mean, like you said, that we've got piles and piles of paper already that tells us what the problems are. It's time to start working on them um, and looking at them. I do also want to mention that we uh, we just hit 40 views of 40 watches on the uh, Facebook page. So oh, hello, hello everybody. 40 people, yeah. <laughs> hello 40 people. This is, this is a record for the programme. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to keep track. We haven't had a lot of questions and comments on there. Um, oh. But um, I'm trying to keep track in case anybody says anything really, really um, groundbreaking. Laura's brought in up the issue of, of white privilege and the fact that it's, it's really misunderstood by people because they feel like it's a personal attack of what they are and who they are and what they're doing. And, you know, I've seen lots of social media noise around that. Um, I'm not apologising for being white. And, and it's just like, hang on a second. Uh, and also you get this, people extend the narrative to say, oh, you can't say you're proud to be English anymore. That means you're a racist. And we know that's rubbish. I'm, I'm you know, I'm proud to be English. I'm not proud of everything we've done in the past and I'm willing to create examine it and I think there's nothing unreasonable about that um, so yeah for me white privilege is, is where I go with the question of did the protesters go far enough because I can only answer from a position of white privilege and uh, I think it's for oppressed people to decide how they deal with their oppressors to be honest <sighs> I mean you, you alluded to this before but do you think it's impossible for white um, 
uh, one thing I've been very nervous about suggesting any solutions because I'm an, I'm an ally. I feel very much like mm. I did about the LGBT situation uh, sort of about six months ago. I'm an ally here, but really, I, am I qualified to start pontificating about what we need is this? I think it's mm. down to other people to, to um, say what's needed. Um, Paul, do you think that we've lost our tolerance in the UK? Do you think that all the opposition is a sign that we're, we're, we're no longer a tolerant society? No, I think I think we've had a bit of a perfect storm at the moment. So people have been on lockdown mm. for a long time and, and you know, tensions are high. And I think what we need to do is have a level of understanding um, for everyone. I know a lot of people who have posted things on their Facebook walls and stuff like that saying how awful this is that they're being called racist and you know that mm. you know when when black lives matter people have said all lives matter and and statements such as that now i've spoken to those people and i've engaged with those people and they aren't being they they don't feel like they're being racist they don't feel like their responsibility they have the responsibility of you know slavery and the institutional racism that this country has had in the past that sort of continues on now. Um, and I think we need to be really, really, um, you know, sensitive to that because everyone's on a journey of learning and really by pointing fingers, you don't really get anywhere by saying, you know what, that's a racist thing to say. You need to engage with that person and try and, no one's giving each other the benefit of the doubt at mm. all here. You know, so, some people aren't given the Black Lives Matter protesters the benefit of the doubt. They're assuming that they want to be um, not only equal, but better than everyone else. You know, there's some people who really genuinely do believe that. Um, and I think that's entirely wrong, but some people believe that that's the case. Um, and also you've got um, people on the other side who are saying things who are maybe trying to understand, but not articul articulating it very well. And people are down their throats as well. I think we need a level of understanding because not everyone is familiar with the language. Not everyone understands the arguments. But I do know that there are a lot of good people out there. And I think people can understand. And if we bring people together, we need to bring in, you know, we share so much. And I, I, I spoke about it at the beginning in my interview with Alan Marjorie. He was talking about how he has more in common with a, a minor, a black minor in South Africa than he does with Boris Johnson. And the funny thing is, working class people or people who don't, you know, who, who do struggle, are arguing amongst themselves when really we should be uniting and saying, yes, you're my brother, you're my sister, you know, let's, let's pull together and let's help one another. And I think a lot of powerful people would much prefer that we were arguing amongst ourselves mm -hmm. um, rather than, you know, looking at what the real systemic inequality is. And I think we need to be conscious of that. Every single conversation that we have, we need to care about each other and think the best of one another and see how we can bring out the best in one another. That's what we should be doing. You are muted, John. <laughs> <laughs> we, we should have had a, like, we should have had a bet on. 
anybody who listened to the the radio show knows that one of the joys of it is is my incapacity to understand the technology so i'm glad to see i've carried it over and um, this is the kind of rustic uh, enjoyment of the show uh Stuart, um one of the things i noticed was that um uh, an awful lot of the people protesting uh, were ex-servicemen. Um, I mean, what, what's the score here? What, what, what do you think is going on there? Uh, I feel like there's a, a subversion of the message going on. There's a, a very small number of people who are using this as an opportunity to push their own agenda, their own racist agenda, and they're, they're co-opting people who care about their community and they, they care mm -hmm. about these war memorials and their veterans. Lots of them are very, very good people. And they're being, you know, brought into something, uh, the whole situation being really twisted. And it's only a really small handful of people that, uh, you know, play in the situation, I think. It's really dangerous even. Can I jump in on this actually? Because yes. um, my friends, well, I say my friends, one of my friends was involved in organising the uh, Black Lives Matter solidarity event in Richmond, which I don't know whether you saw on the news. Um, it got a bit heated. There was, there was a, a protest and a counter protest in Richmond. So uh, it was good news because it's like quiet market town explodes in Black Lives Matter fury. Um, but it was another one of these the message had been sent out there that these these uh, Antifa funded terrorists were going to come and deface the war memorial, which is you know hilarious. My friend, my friend is a breastfeeding peer supporter with two kids. She's definitely not a uh, Antifa funded terrorist. Um, but now, if so, they there was the protests and the counter-protest and the counter-protest was very 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 abusive um but they managed to get through it without any any clashing anyway the one of the leaders of the counter-protest was wearing like a beret from the parachute regiment and he was spouting all of this about you know um being a, being a veteran um and so since the protest the uh there have been complaints to the parachute regiment and it turns out this guy's never served with the parachute regiment and uh, i don't know it's just a, a berry got off ebay or something um and this because people saw a veteran against the protesters but what actually was the case was a man <laughs> in a fantasy world doing dress up perpetuating this poisonous a narrative that Stuart was talking about where good people are being swept up with a narrative that's been written by other people and we really have to question who is writing that story and why they're doing it. I mean the truth of the matter isn't it is that in Bishop Auckland there wasn't <laughs> even a BLM no was going they just I made was... the whole thing up the, 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 the war memorial is in danger and they all turned out to defend it and, and one poor chap mm. his head really in his hands because he said, there oh, are all these fascists going out to defend the war memorial. And of course, there was only a, a smattering yes. of, of very extreme right-wing people that yes. are really unpleasant characters. But the vast majority of the 200 people who turned up were just genuine, decent people yeah. and who'd been conned. Yeah. And what, what frightens me, Sam, is that all these detractors, all these caveats, all these um, campaigns 
they are in fact, I'm sure without intending it, detracting from any chance we have of doing anything really seriously for Black Lives Matter, for, for helping our BAME citizens and our BAME communities. And, and sort of, they are not intending to, but in fact they are counter-protesting. They're part of the counter-protest. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what we do about that. Um, but Paul, has Black Lives Matter lost? No, I don't, I don't think they've lost at all. I think uh, what you've got is you've got these enthusiastic young people. I think, um, I think at the weekend, you, the tables turned a little bit and people's eyes are opening a little bit. There, you know, when we, when we saw people going along and appearing to see Kyle at the Cenotaph, and you just think how many, how many uh, veterans are turning in the grave. Now, some people disputed. Stop, 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 stop. How many veterans are turning in the grave? I'm sure. But what worried me was not many of the veterans who were there seemed much bothered by the fact that they were standing shoulder to shoulder by um, uh, sort of in, next to football lads. Um, and again, so um, that was what worried me. Well, you've got, you, you, back to what Samantha was saying about someone wearing a, a hat that wasn't uh, earned. <laughs> And yes, there will have been some people there, but I'm sure if, if real veterans saw someone see Kylan alongside them, they would be absolutely curious. It was very interesting because I'm in, in a chat group um, and uh, they put a photo of, a, of someone who'd been marching with a can of Stella in his hand, full army uniform. And uh, one, of, one of the people in the, it's an anti-racist chat that we've got, one of the people said, oh, you know, what do you think of this to this, to this veteran, uh, Vin McIntyre, who's absolutely brilliant, everyone's got the opportunity to speak to him, please do. But uh, his, his first reaction was, it was just absolutely scathing, yet totally not, and he said, uh, he said he's wearing his uniform wrong. That was, <laughs> you know, it, and that was it. And, uh, you know, the, that person is discredited by someone who's actually in the army who knows how to wear that uniform. Um, so there's, a, there's an element of that, but there is an element of real, genuine people turning up with real, genuine concerns who are being tricked. Um, so I don't think that means that like, Black Lives Matter have, have lost. I think people's eyes have been slightly open towards this, but it is very, very difficult for people who haven't been on the front lines of an anti-racist battle for a long, long time, like many of us have. They don't actually truly believe that there are people, anyone who has a Nazi ideology, but there yeah. are. And you can produce yeah. photographs in this person here is actually, you Stuart, know, racist. Stuart, do you think that the message of Black Lives Matter has got lost just as we tie this, um, uh, this topic up? I don't. I think it would be great if, uh, you know, some, some leaders, some spokespeople said that the you know, the single demand is that people educate themselves or have conversations, you know, that'd be really great. But uh, I don't think it's lost in any sense. Sam, what would you hope comes out of it at the end? Last word from anybody on this topic. Um, I, I think it's, I, I just hope after the dust has settled, uh, um, like Paula said, you know, we haven't had very good conversations that are actually conducive to turning people who are, have racist attitudes into people who have anti-racist attitudes because there's so much anger and then there's lots of defensiveness and, and it's really difficult to actually 
convince people at this stage. So I just hope that once the dust has settled um, and people are able to reflect back that um, people on both sides <laughs> come at it with a more open mind about actually having conversations with each other that are valuable um, and just do talk about these issues with your bus driver, with your taxi driver, probably not your bus driver, with your taxi driver, with your friends down the pub. Um, you know, there's no point in pretending these things don't exist and they won't go away if we do. I think that's spot on, Sam. I mean, at the end of the day, I, 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 do, I think we have to just appeal to people's decency that um, nobody's saying that white lives don't matter. Nobody's saying that deprived and disadvantaged communities of County Durham don't need immediate help. But at the moment, given the history yeah, that we've been talking about, sort of black lives matter very much too. And I think mm -hmm. most people, um, when we get over the the, the, the crises and the, the, the sort of negative PR, I think they'll agree. Okay, next thing. Um, what was the, how did the jingle go? <laughs> no, stop. I had the news today. Oh, let's go. Oh, dear. And it's time for other stories. And um, the other story is absolutely related to what we've been, to been talking about. Um, uh, Paul, who is pushing back against pulling down? Pushing back against pulling down? <laughs> what? <laughs> so if you wouldn't wait the last two minutes on the news quiz, Paul, and especially as I've given this... Pushing sort back of... against pulling down? Is this a case What's been being pulled down, Paul? That's right. Talk to me about the statues. Statues. The statues really, really challenging me. I'm, I'm, I'm all over the place on this one because I have absolutely no problem with the statue of the slave trader being pulled down. Um, it should have happened a long, long time ago. People have taken it into their own hands and the police stood by and watched because they all knew that that's what the community wanted. Um, mm. Some far right people did try and pull it out. It's oh. really funny because uh, so heavy. But it was impossible for them to do. But you know that you know that no one really had a problem with that. But do I say that like going around doing vandalism all the time is good? Not no. Uh, like you know you you shouldn't do crimes. I can't mm. condone crimes, but that's probably one of the few that like it goes close. I don't think necessarily it wins you any people over by doing this. You know, like, unless you're going to have a revolution like they do in other countries where you have a genuine revolution, going around defacing statues isn't really going to do anything. Actually, did you see the statue that was defaced in uh, Bristol of the, the only black person who has a statue in Bristol? Mm. Uh, they had some corrosive liquid poured over that yep. and, uh, to damage it and things like that. So it's, it's like a revenge statue attack. I think what we do need is education, and people need to understand what our role, what colonialism did, uh, what our role in that was, and it's really funny seeing how everything is being subverted. So I've seen um, people using that this meme where they said, "Do you know we've been paying back the money to release the slaves?" and we only paid it back in 2015, and, and there were people who were using that as a way to say we've really helped these slaves. You know, every single one of us has chipped in. You didn't help the slaves. You helped mm. the owners. 
you know, the mm. owners were paid back. The slave owners, who no one owns another human being, they were paid back and weren't being paid for that until 2015. It's utterly, utterly ridiculous. And you know, like, why should they, should, should they have been compensated? They should have been released and then offered a job, you know, doing the same thing. But, and we've also seen, like, I've seen some people saying, oh, do you know that poem, first they came to the socialists and they didn't, uh, they didn't, I didn't help because I wasn't a socialist and then they came for the Jews and, and I didn't help because I wasn't a Jew and then they came for me. I've seen that and it started off with, first they came for the racists and you're just going, <laughs> oh, how many things can you subvert? Everything is being turned on its head at the moment. So, I don't know. Statues pulling them down, mm. criminal damage, things like that. It's it's not re it's not good. It's not a, it's not going to win us the argument. I don't think, but I can understand why the anger with the slave traders would be a thing. Stuart um, Starmer came out very strongly and said that it shouldn't have been pulled down. I mean, do you agree with your political the leader of your party on this? But what's your take on this? Oh. If I had a statue of a slave trader in my community, I would very much like to pull it down. That's, you know, it would be damaging to the people of my community. I would want it gone. And, you know, clearly it's come to a head because there's been 20 years, I think, of people trying to get it shifted and it's been pushed back. So it went through the democratic process and it's, it's just exploded into something as a protest happened around it but I, i'd want it gone i'd want it rid of i can't see i think stuart that it's exactly the same as we were talking earlier about the way we pass these reports and then just sideline them and done nothing and, and and at the end of the day everybody said this ought to go and nothing's happened and that's mm. how we treat the BAME community uh, sort of the statue of Colston was in fact sort of a metaphor for the way we treat the BAME community and, and and at the end of the day what do you expect when you just sideline and neglect some ignore somebody for year after year after year eventually they, they, they say what well, we do it ourselves um, well, yes, and you know, if they didn't want people to pull the statue down, they should have had it nailed down harder. That's what I've been told my whole life as a woman. It really easy, <laughs> didn't it? I mean, uh, terrifying. Like, All these people have been walking past it. I mean, strong. Because you sneeze on it. <laughs> <laughs> Laura makes a really good point. She says you have to understand that a lot of the statues we have were commissioned by the very people they are. Uh, who had enough money to buy a statue of themselves and not necessarily commemorating uh, any history. I don't know uh, anything about the actual history. You're a history teacher, so you're probably going to tell me I'm just wrong there. But that's what she said, and I'm just there. No, I'm she's absolutely correct. And, and the thing I'm saying is that they look down on us. These people are literally yeah. looking down on us. And, 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 and sort of because they were up there during their life and they put themselves off to death, and now they're looking down on all of us. And I think yes. that... I mean, one of the things I think has been lovely are the people who are saying, let's begin to rethink who we want up there that we're going to hold up um, mm -hmm. as, sort of, as representative of the kind of people we want to be up there. And so one of the suggestions, and I'm going to get in so much trouble for this, but sort of, is that we bring down, pull down Lord Londonderry, he can go and sit in the museum as some kind of blast from the past, and let's shove a miner and his family up yeah. in, in sort of... Um, uh, up, up there in the stairs uh, uh, instead. Um, 
just two minutes. Um, uh, you've got 60 seconds, Paul. Do we need to change the national curriculum to do more teaching about the role of black people in, in, in our history, in our empire? I think we need to just have a little bit more humility in our, um, in our education system. Um, we should teach people factual, factual. Um, <laughs> the damage that we did during, during colonial times, you know, we weren't some sort of marvelous group of people. And I say we, it's nothing to do with working class people in general. They were oppressed in the same way, but they were very, very powerful people from the UK. And yes, working class people did benefit from all those, uh, all those things with the, the, the railways and, and, uh, and other infrastructure projects. However, I think we look back with rose-tinted glasses on all these things that uh, Great Britain has done, and it hasn't always been in the name of something good. And I think that education has to be um, a little bit, have a little bit more humility about it and a little bit more uh, basis in reality. You know, one of the things people get cross with me and they say, why should I feel guilty about the past? I'm not responsible for the past. Stop. We shouldn't feel guilty. Of course we shouldn't feel guilty. We didn't do it. And it's a very different thing between acknowledging what went on and, 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 and sort of different people to me did a whole lot of things. I cannot see the difference between making a list of bad things that um, sort of the French did. Um, in, in, in their empire and the Belgians did in the Congo and, and, and the things that the British did in, in India. What's, what's the difference? This is, this is in the past um, and sort of, and you can't argue with facts. It just happened. And, and sort of, um, I'm not one of those people who believe that we ought to apologize for what's happened in the past. I don't actually believe we ought to be talking about paying compensation. But what we need to do is we need to acknowledge it and to clear up the messes that are still there today left over from that time. That, 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 that's it. You may have children around, Sam, who play with your children. And when <laughs> you go, the bedroom is an absolute mess. But you, you sort of, um, you just go in and tidy it up. And that's what we're not doing. We're not tidying up mm. the mess we made. And, and, and that's by the by, Paul. Could I just say on that one, though, we, we, this, this is still going on. Like, you know, they, these countries are still having their resources stripped from them. You know, these are, like a lot of the countries in Africa are extremely resource rich and we're still seeing like diamond mining um, causing massive, massive problems for these. It hasn't really finished. You know, the, the Western world as a group does take advantage of places that are really resource rich like Africa. So actually, we, not us as an individual, but we should be holding our government account we certainly shouldn't be electing someone like Boris Johnson who says racist things about that area and, and makes it, you know, that, that, that sends entirely the wrong message. We should be trying to make sure that every worker in the world is paid fairly and treated fairly. We need a much fairer system in general, globally. And we, like, you know, if, if there's anything in the world I would be proud of for Britain, it would be leading the way in making the world a much more equal place. I'd love to see us do that and I'd be extremely proud to see us do that.
I mean, you're hitting a really important point there for me, Paul, that when we did control the world, or a good fifth of it, sort of what we did is we set up the terms of trade so that they actually benefited us. And that's still the case. All the terms of trade uh, sort of benefit the developed world and disadvantage the undeveloped world. And that goes on and it's just in the system. So it's virtually impossible for the poorer countries to actually make themselves rich because we fix the terms of trade. And it's exactly the same in society as well. That sort of, whereas rich white British men fix the terms of trade internationally, rich white British men fix the structures of society in Britain. And, and, and the silly thing about this, and this is where you get into sort of unity of the working classes and things like this. The silly thing is, is that the very people who are protesting and getting angry about what they see as an attack on the British Empire and our great British heritage are the same people who are disadvantaged and they're in the situation they're in simply because the, the, these people, they've screwed them just as much as they screwed the main communities. And, and, and sort of um, and getting that message across as possible. Right, okay, last topic. Um, sorry, Stuart, I almost ignored you on that one. Uh, so, so I'm going to kick, no, I'm going to kick off with Sam. Sam, the last Oh, thanks. Um, <laughs> why has J.K. Rowling got herself into hot water this week? Okay, I'm going to wind back a little bit and start at the beginning, which is to just... A very good place to start. <laughs> it's a good way to start, um, because starting in the middle is, is where a lot of the problems come with this. Um, there is an argument within society, but specifically within the feminist movement, about the place of trans women in the feminist movement and whether they are real women or whether there's some other class of women or whether they are men and always will be. Now, <clears throat> this is a very highly charged subject because a lot of women have been oppressed by men for their whole lives and have generational pain and, and it's, it's very, very difficult. For me, um, I believe that trans women experience a lot more um, oppression than I do as a biological woman a born woman and I, I believe that we need to do everything we can to support them and feminism is about supporting everybody uh, including men including non-binary people and including trans um, people so JK Rowling believes that there, that you can't make that transition from being a man to a woman um, and this and the other things that have come out with the uh, gender review that has been done by the government, um, it's, it's just another flashpoint where people are saying um, trans women will never be women and spreading stories about trans women being potential, um, potential um, aggressors themselves towards women in women's spaces. So there's a big worry about uh, men coming into women's prisons, men coming into women's bathrooms. Um, to, to me, from my position, um, I believe and I know that there are trans women in women's bathrooms now and there has been uh, since the beginning of time. You know, it used to be that people would, would change their name and change their presentation and, and what it said on their birth certificate sort of you don't 
you don't show your birth certificate to people when you go into a swimming pool, do you? <laughs> you know, you don't show your birth certificate to people when you go to the toilet. You just go about your life and um, how suits you best. And I think we need to support people who are experiencing an oppression that none of us can even begin to imagine what it's like. Uh, I absolutely agree. Um, and um, sort of, if, it is, if it's which toilet do they go into, which is unfortunately what it seems to descend into every time. Um, if you are uh, somebody who is transitioning, um, like you haven't had the, the, the full physical changes, but you're dressing and acting and living like a woman, which, which is the impossible thing? Is it impossible to go into a lady's toilet, which is just full of the cubicles? And, and, and sort of, or do, do, you, do you have to go into the men's toilets? <laughs> and, and how dangerous is that for transgender people? Uh, and the, the argument completely forgets trans men as well. So if the same is true for both sides, then we should be sending trans men um, who have a vagina into uh, places where they can be they can be abused uh, or, or they should be saying that we shouldn't be sending trans men into male prisons where, which is places they can be abused I've never heard that argument from somebody who um, who argues that trans people can never transition properly um, yeah I'll shut up <laughs> Paul um, absolutely vital that the Labour Party uh, supports uh, transgender rights just as enthusiastically uh, as it supports gay rights? The Labour Party should always be in the, on the side of the oppressed. Um, I believe that trans people are oppressed. Um, it's, a, it's a difficult subject for many people in the public because they don't understand it, they find it confusing. Um, and then I think, well, you know, how confusing must it be to wake up in the wrong body? We've also got this, you know, it's more confusing for the people who are experiencing it than the people who are witnessing it. Um, and, you know, we're also missing out on you know, intersex people and, yeah. you know, they, they're not being mentioned either. You know, people will say, oh, well, you're either a man or a woman. Actually, biologically, that's incorrect. There are yeah. intersex people as well. Um, and I think, again, it, it comes down to understanding. There's this argument that these people are going to go in. in a, you, you talk about a toilet. It's ridiculous. Why are we talking about a toilet? Um, people are going to go into a toilet and, and abuse people or do different things. Now, trans women don't abuse people. Trans men don't abuse people. Abusers abuse people. You know, that, that, that is not the defining feature. Of course, there will be some trans women and there will be some trans men who, who are maybe, you know, who, who might abuse someone, but no more than the general population. That isn't what defines them as people. And it's ridiculous that the argument is coming down to that. And, you know, I, I think there's, there's a Daily Mail fetishization of the whole thing, you know, like, and, and um, trans people are often fetishized. You know, they're looked at as they are just normal people who were born in the wrong body or, you know, why can't we just be a bit kind and understanding to them? They're right to be different. Uh, Stuart. We're at the end of the show. Um, the last, um, the last uh, comment uh, goes goes to you. What's your take on all this? Uh, I, d I don't like the idea that you know we're putting up 
boundaries and we're looking down the conversation on it and we're taking, you know, we're putting in very solid ideas that, you know, women's rights are not compatible with men's rights or not compatible with transgender rights. They are, you know, clearly nuanced and mm. they're going to take, you know, incredible levels of effort and thought to come up with a, you know, a safe best practice for anything. But we're just not having that conversation. We're just drawing lines and saying, this is, you know, a woman, this is a man. Uh, you know, there's no crossover. These things are incompatible. Women's rights, you know, are completely compatible with men's rights. Just as, you know, we, we share so much and we're just not having the conversation and locking down into one thing is so frustrating. I think you've hit the nail on the head. And, and, and in doing so, you've actually um, finished off our first uh, re reanimated show with, with what political is all about. That in so many issues nowadays, we just scream at each other from two polarized positions. And in fact, this is what um, uh, political is all about. It's about sitting down and discussing it and realizing that, the, I love the word nuanced, there, there is no black and white in many of these issues. What there is is the shades of grey. There's a spectrum of opinions. And in fact, what we need to do is to get out and sit down and talk and get it sorted. And that's what political was always about. Um, Paul, Stuart, Sam, I mean, you know, I hold you in the highest regard. You're just fabulous people. You're also friends, which helps. Uh, thank you for being uh, on, on this show. Thank you, Paul, who sort of owns all the software and set all the, 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 the organisation of it uh, technologically without you. Um, we are um, sort of... Uh, uh, goodbye, everybody. Do you want to say goodbye, Paul? Um, I'll, I'll say goodbye, and I want to say um, thank you to you, John. And, you know, we think you're all right, too. Yeah, oh, <laughs> good. he's that's, okay. That's good. So, Stuart, goodbye. Goodbye. Sam? Bye. Bye-bye. We're going to play you out um, with uh, Joe Solo. Um, bless him, he's fantastic. If you haven't heard his music, listen. If you haven't bought his music and you get the chance, buy it. Um, this is a song called No Passaran. No Passaran is a, uh, a phrase that comes from the Spanish Civil War, uh, where the, um, the, 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 the forces of the left tried to stop the forces of the right and they said they shall not pass you shall not pass and, <laughs> um the um so, so this is joe solo uh, no pass on thanks for listening um we will be back and um sort of i'm i'm looking um are we looking at next week are we able to make next week people uh, same same team mm -hmm. same yeah. time same place um, happy, happy to do that, or, or we might have um, the, the other side of the Daily Family. Oh, yes, well, <laughs> of, uh, you're going to let a woman talk. That would be really smashing. So we'll, we'll see if, you, if you're listening, we'll see you same time, same place, next week, uh, 9 o'clock, Tuesday the 23rd of June. God bless mm. you. No Pass Around by Joe Solo. Bye-bye.